3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. i got people who make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and also to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. As we head into earnings season, I mean, shouldn't I be more nervous? Shouldn't I be more worried? After meandering day where the Dow inched up 39 points, SB advanced 0.21%, NASDAQ gained 0.60%. I think we got to put this to rest. I think we got to address these fears. What if sales plummet and costs skyrocket? Like I'm hearing, won't this earnings period be very tough for stocks? I get asked this stuff pretty much every single day, including by my squawk-on-the-street colleague, Carl Quintanilla, especially on the eve of earnings season. makes sense to ask me. I always struggle to come up with an answer that's not too glib. I mean, that's the story of my life, right? But it usually involves a belief that most of the negativity has already been baked into the market. Periodically, though, I get lucky. I get something that crystallizes it and makes my viewpoint so clear. I get a gem. A gem drops right into my hands that can explain exactly how I feel. Today's diamond a story in the Wall Street Journal titled and I quote investors brace for hit to profits as costs rise <laughs> The article goes on to explain quote investors are concerned that rising wages and energy costs will eat into corporate profits threatening the decade long bull market in stocks ah! Ah! You might think that this is a negative article, but as far as I'm concerned, negativity is a pretty good reason to be bullish, not bearish. The more downbeat stories we see about the market, the more likely it will be that we'll have a decent earning season. The average can power higher because it's decent. Lowered expectations are the best kind of expectations. Case in point, remember what they said about the oil and the gas and stuff like that? Delta Airlines, DAL. Yesterday, the company raised, not lowered its earnings, but raised its forecast for the current uh, quarter. They're talking about 85 to 95 cents per share. Wall Street was only looking for 80 cents. This is a dramatic, dramatic upside pre-announcement. It is much better. And by the way, the revenues were sharply better than expected, too. In response, Delta shot up 6% yesterday before tacking on another... 3% run today. That was a fabulous move. It was fueled by what? By negativity. The public, and even a lot of hedge funds, were thinking along the same lines as the Wall Street Journal writer. They expected Delta to have weak traffic and much higher fuel costs, which of course would be the kiss of death. When the traffic turned out to be fabulous and the costs were fine, the short sellers got crushed and the stock soared.
2: That was easy.
3: You can see something similarly, this spectacular semiconductor rally. The roughly six months ago, AMD reported a subpar quarter, in part because of a slowdown in cryptocurrency mining, which uses their chips, oh, well, actually their graphic user cards, along with uh, muddled results for their personal computer and data centers. It was sloppy. It was a sloppy quarter. And the stock plunged from $29 down to $16 in less than two weeks. It was a jarring moment. But Lisa Sue, AMD's redoubtable CEO, didn't flinch, even as she made it clear the company had been working on some new chips designs that could allow them to take the world by storm. No one was listening. Why? Because we were all so negative. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Yeah, the golem. Now, today, AMD stock soared more than 8%. Climbing back to $29. Why? Because last night, an alpha called Taiwan Semi, which is gigantic, by the way, announced that it's going to ramp up production of 7 nanometer chips thanks to renewed strength in orders for Android devices. Cell phones! Who'd have thunk it? Taiwan Semi span a product cuts a vast swath, okay? And when the market searched for analog, well, not analog devices, but an analog, it came up with AMD. If you believe the semiconductor industry was going to be crushed by economic weakness and a cash-trapped consumer and the rising price of oil, well, you would have missed this magnificent move. You would have missed the run in Micron, which bottomed 15 points ago. You definitely would have caught the wouldn't have caught the enormous gain in Lamb Research, the uh, which is coming out like a lion. The semiconductor capital equipment market has rallied six market sixty points. Sixty points since everyone started worrying about how this business would hold up in the second half. Now it looks like the second half will be terrific. Then there's Home Depot. Shouldn't this stock be getting slammed by the very issues that the Wall Street Journal says are play our economy? Won't it be hit by rising costs in a horrible housing market? Well, contractors even have the money to go from job to job now that the price of gasoline is rebounded. When Home Depot reported its most recent quarter, they told the story of a quarter spoiled by bad February, by bad weather uh, all over the country. It was unimaginable, but they told it. Because everyone's so inclined to be pessimistic, people didn't believe CEO Craig Menear when he explained that, the, that he never blames the weather for weakness, but this time was different. They didn't believe Home Depot's incredible CFO, Carol Tomei, when she said it's business as usual. Don't worry. Things are going to bounce back. Positive trends. That's why the stock fell from $180 to $179 a straight line. People have gotten too bullish about the stock, and now they learned a hard lesson that they can get hammered owning even the best of the best of retailers when costs rise and demand weakens. Oops, well, oops uh, wait a second. Maybe that's the wrong reason. See, Home Depot now trades at one, one, 198 You had to buy it when everyone else was fleeing in terror. Now you have Home Depot's best-selling season right in front of them in the next two weeks. It's their Black Friday, Saturday, and Sunday because of gardeners, gardeners and grillers alike. Or how about the most obvious example hidden in plain sight, like Edgar Allan Poe's purloined letter I'm talking about, Apple... The negative sentiment here seemed overwhelming. The American consumer was supposedly blown out by the coming slowdown. They were in the crosshairs of the Chinese government. Their India strategy loser. When Apple pre-announced some ugly numbers in early January, courtesy of weakness in China, the analysts bailed on the stock like there was no tomorrow. We started hearing once again that the companies, yes, you got it, repeat it to me, best days were behind it. I didn't believe it. Not one bit. Not one bit. So we flew out to see Tim Cook, the CEO, find out whether the gloom and the negativity were justified. We were so thrilled. he's willing to sit down with us. The stock was 150, down 80 points from its high. Dismal situation. I asked him if maybe the market had it right. His response.
1: I'm never surprised by the market, to be honest with you, because I, I, I think the market uh, is quite emotional in the short term. And, and we sort of look through all of that. We think about the long term. And so when I look at the long term health of the company. It has never been better. Now look, you may think I'm an apple polisher to Tim Cook,
3: but granted, we're hearing a lot of chatter about a potential trade deal with China, which presumably would be good news for Apple. But regardless, if you bought the stock when Tim Cook came on Mad Money and told us business had never been better long-term, you would have gotten it at 150. If you listened to the headlines, the ones that bear a striking resemblance, to the Wall Street Journal is now saying about the whole market, you would have sold Apple and missed out on a terrific 45-point gain as the stock closed today at 195. Of course, the purists are saying I'm gun jumping. I'm not. I'm used to that. We haven't seen earnings season yet. They say, but, but the more negative stories that we read, like the piece in the journal, the more likely we'll be able to take <laughs> any, any, anything not so hot in stride. It's only when expectations are high that you really get in trouble, not when they're low. Still, there are always going to be quarters like the Grim Reaper that visited Walgreens yesterday. However, that was caused by a combination of managerial incompetence and brutal competition. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm, I'm I'm talking about the stocks of companies that are supposed to be turning down because of a weaker economy. Bottom line, I'm sure some companies really will be hurt by the economy or by rising gasoline prices and higher labor costs. But when everybody's worried about this stuff, that's the best time not to sell, but to buy. Okay, let's take calls. Okay, let's go to Bob in New York. Bob.
1: Kim, a big booyah from the best NFL team in Pennsylvania, the Pittsburgh Steelers.
3: Yeah, yeah, that three Bs. How are they doing the three Bs? Now it means Brom, Beethoven, and Bach in your town. Sorry. Sorry, Chiefs. Six Super Bowls. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, yeah. Jim, hey, Disney, yeah. Take that.
1: Disney has completed the Fox deal. There have been numerous upgrades. You own it for the trust. There is, however, an outlier. Zach's investment went from a hole to an outright sell. What do they see that most of us? Okay, don't? I
3: think what they see, um, other than the fact that you obviously are challenged to, to see because you're friends of this fan of the Steelers, what they see is that they think that Bob Iger is going to cut numbers when he has the meeting. And I got to tell you, that may very well be happen. So you're a member of the club, obviously excellent. Plus, be aware that we think that could happen too. But we just want to buy more when it happens. And I'm just kidding about the Steelers. I think that next year, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown are going to bring it back. And the- oh, sorry. Uh, uh, all right. When everyone thinks things are going to be bad, that's the best time to invest. That's when you put the money to work. Oh man, money tonight, all tobacco stocks are not created equal. It's a head-to-head battle. Two stocks enter, but one is going to ashes. Then it's a supermarket sweep. Tonight I'm highlighting Smuckers and General Mills to see which of these pantry plays could fill your cart with profits. And are all the unknowns in the market draining your energy? I'm gonna tell you whether Dominion Energy could give you a boost. So stick with Kramer.
0: Visibility at Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash MadMoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MadMoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: I don't know if you can even have these. Oh, I'm sorry. What What do you do when a group that had been written off and left for dead suddenly rises from the grave? That's what we're witnessing right now in the tobacco cohort of all places. I mean, after just ages, lost the wilderness. Big tobacco has really caught fire over the past months. It's an incredible resurgence in a group that didn't seem to have a lot going for it not that long ago. Just look at Altria and Philip Morris International, which used to be part of the same company and still owns the same brands, Marlboro, Parliament, Virginia Slims, among others. Altria handles the domestic business of Philip Morris. Uh, I'm sorry, domestic business of Philip Morris, and Philip Morris Morris handles the rest of the world. Both stocks peaked in the summer of 2017, and then they were nearly cut in half over the next 18 months. We know that smoking's been on decline for ages. Because nobody wants to get, uh, well, let's say nobody actually chooses, I think, to get cancer emphysema. It's not like a voluntary class thing. It's a disgusting habit, especially in the younger generation who didn't have to grow up in a world where cigarettes were literally everywhere. My parents smoked Kents. They kept them in the freezer. What was that about? Like, they were like popsicles. But it's also a highly addictive habit. So for years, the big tobacco companies did just fine. Just when it seemed like nothing could derail the likes of Altria and Philip Morris. They slam head first into a retaining wall. They slam into vaping. Yet big tobacco got disrupted by electronic cigarettes, especially Juul, that's J U U L. Over the past couple of years it's become very obvious that smokers are switching to e-cigs in droves. Because while we still don't have a full picture of the health risks from vaping, it can't possibly be as bad as the health risk from smoking. So, Altry and Philip Morris saw their stocks get crushed. The former falling from 77 to, in 2017 uh, down to $42 at its lows a few months ago, while the latter plummeted from $123 to $64 over the same period. It made sense. Cigarettes may not be cool anymore, but kids seem to love Juul, especially those with the fruity flavors. They had to pull off the shelves because they tasted too much like candy. If they had a raisin at Juul, you know what? I might just... I like raising nets. The big tobacco stocks became punching bags. And then over the past few months, uh, they made a stunning recovery. Altria's now up 27% from its lows, generally lows. Philip Morris has gained nearly 33% since it bottomed in late December. Those are incredible moves. How the heck did it happen? Sure, both companies reported solid quarters that uh, they were good enough. Although keep in mind that after their previous declines, the bar was pretty low. But I don't think that's it. To me, the strength in Altry and Philip Morris is all about a rotation back into high yielding dividend stocks now that US Treasury yields have come down. With the 10 year currently at just 2.52%, remember it was over three? Altry and Philip Morris look like a lot more juicy. They're attractive, 5% plus yields. So, I mean, would you rather have two and a half or uh, five? And their stocks are still down uh, cheap, They're trading 13 times and 16 times this year's earnings, respectively. So, what do we do with them after this run? Have they really bottomed or is this? simply a temporary bounce. Okay, if you have a blanket objection to owning tobacco, uh, as I do, then there are plenty of other investments that will do the job. That said, Altria and Philip Morris are... are are two very similar companies that have started to diverge in fairly dramatic ways. And I think we can learn a lot from the contrast here. I think Altria has become the better stock. Why? Well, first, let me walk you through the similarities. And then we're going to get to the ways this company has been setting itself apart. you got to remember, Altria and Philip Morris International used to be exactly, they are the same company. The old Altria spun off its overseas businesses, PM, in 2007. For the most part, they're basically selling the same cigarettes, just in different regions. Virginia slips, I didn't want these like the preferred tobacco for like athletes, tennis players, something like that. Both companies face some of the same problems. Their primary business has a tendency to kill customers, and they're not hooking enough new smokers to replace the keep people they kill. In short, Altria and Philip Morris are in secular decline, and that decline has only accelerated thanks to the rise of vaping. Year after year, the tobacco industry has fewer and fewer customers. Wonder why. In 2016, 15.5% of US adults were smokers. It's down to 14% in 2017. Most recent year we have numbers for. The decline for young adults was even more dramatic, from 13% down to 10%. And a lot of that market share is going to e cigarettes led by Juul. For a while, both Altria and Philip Morris had the same response to this crisis. They spent a long time working in concert to develop their so-called reduced-risk products. And a few years ago, they rolled out this e-cigarette brand. It was called IQOS. I mean, could you come up with a dumber name? Well, I guess if you called them, like, death sticks or something. Philip Morris sells them overseas, and Altria has the rights to them in the United States. Although the company is still waiting on FDA approval before they can start selling them. But recently, Altria has begun taking a much more aggressive and, I think, actually thoughtful approach. In December, the company announced not one, but two major moonshot announcements that could potentially transform the business down the road. First, Altria spent $1.8 billion to acquire a 45% stake in Kronos Group, the Canadian cannabis play, with warrants that let them take a controlling interest in the company if they feel like it. Now, that may not sound like much when you consider that Altria is a $103 billion company, but I think the Kronos deal with that great management Kronos shows that these guys know that the future lies beyond tobacco. It gives Altria some badly needed growth in a brand new market that has a lot in common with the cigarette business but doesn't kill as many people that I know of. Second, Two weeks later, Altria shells out $12.8 billion. For yes, the aforementioned Juul, a 35% stake in Juul to be crazy, be uh, they call it Juul Labs. <laughs> the rapidly growing e-cigarette play that has devastated the competition. Juul bills itself as a safer alternative to regular cigarettes because there's no combustion and thus no smoke. And it's smoke that causes most of the health problems. It's also much more effective at helping people quit smoking than nicotine gum or the patch because nicotine hits you just as fast as it would with a regular cigarette. You know what I actually think the Juul Look, I'm not in favor of smoking, but this gets a bad rap versus tobacco. I mean, think about it. They've limited distribution dramatically to prevent kids from getting their hands on the stuff. I think Jules should just go to the FDA and get their device approved as a prescription product for, a smoking, for smoking cessation. They, uh, When I put that to them, it, it, they don't really want it. They want it to be a commercial business. But either way, this is a very smart move by Altria. On the other hand, Philip Morris International seems focused on continuing to build out that IQOS platform. Maybe something that Microsoft puts out, right? It's an OS IQ. In order to capture some of the smokers who switch to vaping. However, with Juul expanding overseas, they're now in Europe. I wonder if Philip Morris has has the ability to compete. I mean, this thing is great. Well, I mean bad, great. You know I mean? I mean bad, but also great. The other big difference, geography. Altria is all domestic. Philip Morris is international. For much of the past year, it looked like the United States was going to be a bigger problem for the tobacco industry than the rest of the world. Why? Because Scott Godley, the thoughtful head of the FDA, has been very tough on these companies. He, he seems to like products that don't kill people. What can he do? We've heard rumors of a potential ban of bedfall of cigarettes, and Godley's been a staunch opponent of vaping because it's getting so many children hooked on nicotine. He seems to think that's wrong. But Godley announced his resignation about a month ago, and Friday is his final day on the job, which is unfortunate. He's a very thoughtful man. Everybody I know in pharma, both big and little, thinks he's the greatest, or at least they tell me. Given the pro-business nature of the Trump administration, I bet his replacement will be more friendly to Altria. The bottom line, if I had to choose between these big tobacco titans, I'd pick Altria here, as the company's taking aggressive action to offset with, uh, to offset the secular decline in smoking. I mean, look, Philip Morris international we know that when you go overseas, you just have to wash your hair what, because there's so much people smoking, but if you lose it, you don't have to worry. But anyway, Philip Morris has a 5.6% yield, and you know what? That yield may be too enticing to ignore. Again, I hate cigarettes, would never buy them, but for those who don't feel that, that uh, this product, it, 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 if you don't mind, buy Alchemy. It's hard to just say I want to recommend it because I can't. Sorry. Hey, much more money ahead. Does your portfolio need something to snack on? I'm hitting the grocery aisles to find you the best value proposition. Sorry, no coupon needed. Then, what about what's ahead for the utility stocks now that there are no more rate hikes on the horizon? Well, I'm talking to the CEO of Dominion. And Dave and Buster's may be known for its games, but the stock is all business. I'm eyeing the company fresh off of earnings, so stay with. Not too long ago, it seemed like the whole packaged foods industry was in deep, deep trouble. We heard that these companies had failed to keep up with consumer tastes. their old-fashioned pantry plays in a world where everyone wants natural and organic. We heard they were being eaten alive by rising transportation costs, which served to squeeze margins in an already low-margin business we saw how major leaders in the group like Kraft Heinz just collapsed. These food names were supposed to be the ultimate defensive stocks, built on slow and steady businesses that could deliver in both good times and bad. Even after the whole group spent the last year getting hammered, the conventional wisdom still held that the food stocks were fundamentally defensive. Then in late February, Kraft Heinz made a mockery of the conventional wisdom with its stock funding from 46, $48 to just under $35 in a single session, thanks to a horrific quarter. Now 2018 had already been a horror show for the food court. General Mills, Kraft Heinz, Jam ConAgra, Campbell Soup, all racked up huge losses. Keller was the best performer among the majors, and even it was down 13%. Jeez, it was awful. However, if we've learned anything about the beginning of 2019, it's not everybody in this industry is in other Kraft times. So far this year, the packaged food stocks have made a magnificent
2: comeback.
3: And not just because their stocks sold off too much during the fourth quarter bear market, like so many stocks, including the semiconductors. No, many of the food names are rallying the old-fashioned way by posting excellent earnings reports. And I'll tell you what the standouts are. J.M. Smucker, okay, up 26% from its late December lows. And General Mills has done even better. It's up 38% from the, over the same period. Those are stunning for defensive stocks. Both companies reported fabulous quarters last month. And their stocks have soared into the stratosphere. But how is that possible? How can you have a household named like Kraft Heinz melting down like like Whiz on a cheesesteak at Geno's. At the same time, General Mills and Smucker doing incredibly well. And more important are the moves sustainable. Okay, you know General Mills as the maker of Cheerios, okay? Yo Play, Nature Valley, haagen Old El Paso, Betty Crocker, and most important, Blue Buff, an acquisition that a lot of people felt cost them too much. They had to do a big equity offering to fix their balance sheet, but it has really taken off and proven to be an excellent Excellent acquisition, Jam Smucker is just as equally iconic. Frankly, I mean, think the Smucker's fruit spreads, right? Hey, Jif peanut butter. I mean, that was never. You know, we always were Skippy House, but I saw a lot of people at at this one Folgers, which at one point I thought was drinkable, Um, and a growing pet business as well as Milk Bone. And you know what? Did anyone remember early in the years when I ate one of these? It was one of the finest moments of the show, not unlike when I stabbed that, uh, that monster amid that I did, and it went over and ruined my Brioni. For years, both of these stocks lagged the broader stock market as General Mills struggled to grow in an environment where cereal had fallen out of favor and smuckered some serious execution issues. They continued to get clobbered last year along with the rest of the group, although they held up much better during the fourth quarter. Uh, because, well, their dividends offered real protection against the meltdown. Smucker finally gave up the ghost in late November after reported a not-so-hot quarter and cut its full-year guidance. I thought that was surprising. I didn't think that they could do that. I thought they were doing better. General Mills, on the other hand, delivered a better than feared quarter in December, which is one reason why stock managed to bottom about a week before the rest of the market. Still, late last year, the prognosis for the whole group seemed grim. But now we know that prognosis was wrong. General Mills and Smucker have come roaring back to life. In part, that's because their stock simply got way too cheap. They've spent two and a half years being beaten down to the point where Smucker was selling at just 11 times earnings. Remember when this was a growth stock? And that was at the December lows. Same time, General Mills was selling for 12 times earnings. I always remember this one as 18 to 20. All my life, I said 18 to 20 is what I would pay. That's the price earnings multiple. What else? As their stocks went down, their dividend yields went higher, of course, and dividends have become a heck of a lot more attractive now that interest rates have come down dramatically from their highs. Smucker bottom when its yield approached 4%. I find that kind of accidentally high Yield. Thank you, Matt Horing, for crafting that plan. He's my writing partner. I often find that's a reliable buy signal, as long as you know the payout is safe and the balance sheet's good. At the same time, investors find dividends a lot more enticing when the benchmark 10 year treasury sports a measly 2.5% yield, like right now, down from its highs of 3.25 last year. Now, even though Smucker's 2.9 yield is enticing, oh, General Mills here takes the cake. We should bake a cake. You know what? These are especially good for you. Um, You know, this one bottomed when it it yielded 5%, and right now it's just shy of 3.9%. Here's a Twitter poll. Which is better for you, humans? It's Twitter. You just go on Twitter, and and you can say something bad about me and Lyft, and then you can vote. All right, now, um, that's it. It's not enough to have a cheap stock with a big dividend. You also need strong fundamentals, which is why it's so important that General Mills and Smucker reported some some excellent numbers from recent weeks. Yeah, we'll, we'll have them after the show. I think that's enough. I think all you, all you have to do is throw them against the wall and they're made. When Smucker gave us its results at the end of February, the company delivered a magnificent $0.25 earnings speed off of a 2 basis with higher than expected sales, up 6% year-over-year. That's not bad for Smucker. Plus, management maintained their guidance. On the conference call, they talked about strong sales across all of our key growth brands. Wow! Looks like the reports of J.M. Smucker's death were greatly exaggerated. Man, and they're nice guys, so I feel really good about it. So the Mills guys, actually. Two weeks ago, General Mills posted a terrific quarter of its own, giving us a 14-cent earnings beat off a 69-cent basis with higher-than-expected sales, up 8% year-over-year. That is really good, not to mention expanding gross margins. Company raised a full-year earnings forecast to boot. What's driving these great numbers? Now, on the conference call, CEO Jeffrey Harmoning, who was the first guy to really say, listen, we've got to go more natural and organic with Annie's, which is really taking share of uh, mac and cheese, um, Oh, I'm going to have these after the show. Um, and then the Blue Buff acquisition was his, too. They had positive organic sales growth with significant operating margin expansion. This is sustainable, people. He continued, our year-to-date performance and fourth, qu- fourth quarter plans give us confidence that we will meet or exceed all of our key fiscal 2019 targets. The company's making it happen, thanks in large part to its much-improved execution. No more missed quarters. No more number cuts. Put it all together and you've got a much more benign backdrop for the packaged foods companies, which helped add fuel to the fire when both Smucker and General Mills reported some really fabulous numbers. So can these stocks keep climbing now that they rebounded so substantially from the lows? A lot of people have been faked out by the similar moves in the recent years, where these stocks would get some momentum and then roll over. But I'm a little hesitant. I'm a little hesitant, I admit. Pound the table here. If you're going to buy a packaged foods company because you think that you know, things are slowing down in the world like so many people, I think you should take a definite look at General Mills over, I think, Smucker, but I like both. Why? The two stocks are generally the same price. General Mills traded at 15 times earnings, Smucker at 14 times earnings, but General Mills has that higher yield, 3.9, versus 2.9 for Smucker. And General Mills has better fundamentals, and their margins are expanding. I like the way Jeff's doing this thing, and the acquisition of Blue Bluff is playing off. I am going to I am going to give these two One's going to go to Everest, and one's going to go to Xilinx, uh, and what's also known as Bob Marley. And Xilinx, let me tell you something, he will eat the bag and leave the treats, but Everest knows to eat, eat what's inside. Smucker's still seeing some softness in its own big heart pet food business. I'm less confident in manage, management's abilities right here to execute as well. So here's the bottom line. A few months ago, it felt like the whole packaged foods industry was toxic. But then most of these names have started to rebound. General Mills and J.M. Smucker leading the way. As much as I hate to chase, I think General Mills is too cheap and too good to ignore here. And Smuckers, let's just say it's not far behind. I think we should start. I think we should take some calls, frankly. I think we should go to Tom in Michigan.
1: Tom. Booyah, Kramer. Thanks for taking my call, man. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, I just want to mention I'm an Action Alerts Plus member, so I appreciate everything you guys do for
3: us over here. Oh, you're so great. The club, we got a call next week. It's going to rock your socks
1: off on Friday. How can I help? Perfect. So I'm looking at a small cap play. Uh, Tivity Health recently acquired Nutrisystem at a 30% premium about six months ago. Um, it looks like the stock's been getting hammered the past six months, well, setting new lows. I didn't um, think it was good. And, and I didn't
3: think it made sense, Tom. You know, and I wouldn't, you know, look, you're member of the club. You know, this isn't the kind of stock I'd recommend. The low PE doesn't, doesn't make me feel good. I didn't like the acquisition. And you and I both know we haven't really liked this group, but we're warming up. We're warming up if the economy really does get soft, but thank you for the kind words. I hope to hear you on the call now. The packaged foods industry is rebounding. General Mills has gotten too cheap to ignore. Much more mad money ahead. With the Fed signaling a slowdown when it comes to rate hikes, that's why you want one of these babies, right? I'm talking with the CEO of one of the best utilities in the country, Dominion, to see what's to come up. Then, what's better than booze, burgers, and skee-ball? I think making money off of all three. I'm digging into Dave and Busters to see if this mecca of games and grub can be the ticket to profits. And all your calls, rapid fire in today's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Uncrustables and stick with Kramer. All night, I've been highlighting the sectors that have suddenly become a lot more attractive thanks to the rapid decline in interest rates. With the 10-year 2.5%, income-seeking investors are much more willing to just buy a dividend stock, and I don't blame them. You know what? That includes the utilities, another slow and steady group with juicy dividends. Take Dominion Energy, long one of my favorites, the huge utility with some major natural gas production and transmission assets, including a liquefied natural gas terminal in Maryland. It represents one of the few ways to export this cheap, plentiful fuel overseas. Now, Dominion stock is moved up nicely over the last few months, and even here still, it sports a notoriously B.I.G. yield of 4.8%. Plus, unlike the rest of the utilities, this one actually has a catalyst. See, in January, Dominion closed on its acquisition of Scana, the troubled South Carolina-based utility, which is now in the process of integrating. Can that give us more upside here? Let's take a closer look with Tom Farrell. He's the chairman president and CEO of Dominion Energy. Get a better sense of how the company's doing and where it's headed. Now that the Scana deal is complete, Mr. Farrell, welcome back to Mad Money.
1: Great to be with you, Jim.
3: All right, so Tom, I'm reading the local papers in South Carolina. They're telling me April 15th, get ready. It's gonna, you're going to be running. You're going to see a lot of trucks. You're going to see a lot of op- activity from Dominion. How do you expect it to go?
1: should go really well. We closed on the transaction actually on January 1st. And what's happening uh, in a couple of weeks is the name change. Uh, In South Carolina, we'll uh, eliminate the old names, uh, the old South Carolina utility. And uh, everybody will see Dominion Energy trucks uh, in hat, you know, hard hats and shirts, etc.
3: Do you think people even know? I mean, I know that the legislature made you give people a rate cut. But I was just trying to figure, I mean, does the average person understand that their rate, that their uh, big energy company got in trouble over a nuclear power plant, fell on hard times and got acquired by a company that, frankly, I think was always better run?
1: Well, the, uh, I think the public there is well aware of, of what happened. There's lots of publicity around the, the summer. Uh, the, the name of the plant they were expanding is called Summer, uh, the nuclear plant. And uh, it was well covered uh, in the press throughout the state. So I think they're pretty well aware of what happened. It was a, a year-long process with the legislature first and the regulators at the end. And, but I think it came out to a place that was fair for everybody, fair for our shareholders uh, and uh, their customers in South Carolina.
3: You know, sometimes I can't understand. I think you're one of the least controversial companies on earth. But a lot of people are worried about the expansion. I'm looking at a Barclays' piece. This is from uh, just a couple days ago. And it says, dividend cut debate is put to rest. Tom, was there ever really a debate about your dividend?
1: Not uh, Certainly not with us. Uh, never been discussed. Uh, you know, we, This year, we increased our dividend 10%. We're looking at slowing the rate of growth. Uh, on the dividend uh, starting next year. But uh, there's never been any discussion with anybody that I know of about cutting the dividend. It's just there'd be no reason whatsoever to do that.
3: Okay, let's talk about some of the things you've got going. that are pretty amazing. Uh, And and I think some are controversial and polarizing. I don't think they should be, but I'm old fashioned. Atlantic Coast Pipeline is a gigantic way for, I think, for the Northeast to get off of hooked on on imported oil, of all things, the worst fuel, and yet somehow this is a very controversial project. Could you explain to our viewers in big terms the pros and the cons and why you think the pros outweigh the cons? Well,
1: what we're talking about is a 600-mile pipeline, uh, Atlantic Coast pipeline, that we are uh, uh, um, about 50-50 partnership with uh, another utility, Duke Energy, out of North Carolina, its sole purpose is to bring natural gas to end-use customers, utility customers in Virginia and North Carolina. We don't have enough pipeline capacity in the state of Virginia to serve our customers in the southeast part of the state. And Duke Energy wants to use the the gas from the power plant, the gas from the pipeline, to close coal plants to replace them with gas-fired power plants, we are much cleaner. Uh, the the controversy is really only uh, with a small group of people, environmental community. They're very exercised about it. I understand that. Uh, But the vast majority of Virginians are in favor of the pipeline, as they are in North Carolina. Uh, We, you know, we've had uh, fits and starts with it, but it'll, I have high confidence it'll be completed.
3: Okay, that's important because you just made final decision to close ten coal and old gas-fired units. Your, your utility has never it has stated that you don't want to be on coal. You do a pipeline, you get off coal. The environment's cleaner. Uh, these are decisions that you're made out of concerns about environment, about the environment. Correct.
1: Yeah, Jim, when I started uh, at Dominion about two decades ago, we were about 55 percent of our power production came from coal. Uh, Last year, it was 12 percent. Right. And that's been largely replaced with renewables uh, and natural gas.
3: All right. So let's talk about liquefied natural gas. We often hear the president says, you know what, this could be a great chip for the Chinese want to buy our natural gas. Please tell the truth. You are sold out. And so is Chenier. They can't make any more deals with the Chinese, correct?
1: Uh, we certainly can't. I'm not sure about Chenier, but uh, we're we're sold out for 20 years, to the Japanese uh, and Indians. Twenty years you're
3: sold out. Well, I think yep, that just that years. One. One more thing, uh you chose just a few days ago to have a sustainability, environmental, basis, and social government governing day. Why did you do that?
1: You know, uh we actually were the first uh company. We're pretty sure any public company in the United States to hold a you session are. like that. You are. You are. Uh and uh, we we wanted we have a wonderful story to tell, uh, and we wanted we want to make sure people can hear it. We've cut our carbon emissions uh, at Dominion by fifty percent, which is twice the average uh, of our utility peers uh, in the, in the United States. Uh, we have a large gas pipeline system. We're cutting the uh, methane emissions from that by fifty percent uh, between now and twenty thirty. We're going to cut the carbon emissions out of our fleet by eighty percent by twenty fifty. Fantastic story to tell. Uh, lots of philanthropy, about a third of a billion dollars of philanthropy in just the last decade. So uh, we have a, a very, a lot of people are interested in those topics, uh, and uh, we wanted to make sure we uh, got out the facts instead of what people say about us, uh, which are often not based in the truth.
3: Right now, I know I'm getting way, but I do want to point out that you also talked about diversity. You talked about pay. Uh, these are issues yeah. that you brought up that you felt was important to the people, Right.
1: Yeah, we uh, we have uh, uh, we're uh, actively recruiting people to our board and all of our ranks from all different walks of life. Uh, we we've got all sorts of awards for best for diversity, best for women, uh, women's choice awards, transparency, and our political giving awards. We're trendsetters there. Uh, we're in the top quartile, the Just Capital rankings uh, on social responsibility. We have a very good story to tell, uh, and we just need to do a better better job of telling
3: it. Well, I'm glad you told it. I want to thank Tom Farrell. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Dominion Energy, 4.8% yielder, safety, I mean you heard that going to go up over time. And a person who takes all of these issues about the environment, very, 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 they're very important. Why don't other companies do what he did? Why don't the other 499 companies, the S&P 500, have a day like he just did? Man, Bunny's back in for the point. It is time, time
4: to have the
3: And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? time over the lighting round. I am starting with Wesley. Emma, Wesley.
1: Booyah to you, Jim.
3: Booyah, my friend.
1: Hey, I'm a second-generation framerite and a first-time caller.
3: I like that. It's well, good bloodlines. What's going on?
1: So, all the talking heads are over the map on Albemarle Marley. That's a long-term play. Do you think the demand for lithium metal used for electric vehicle batteries can keep up with the increasing supply from Albemarle Marley and the slew of emerging now, miners. No, I tell
3: you, I mean, you can overwhelm demand with supply, and that sure seems to be the case, so we've been taking a pass on that one. John in New York. John!
2: How are you, Jim? Thank you for taking my call. Of course,
3: John. Um, questions about NOK Nokia. Um, you know what? We're believers big... now. I mean, look, we're not crazy about it, but we think that the problems with the Chinese companies, you're going to make it so that you're going to make money with Nokia. And that's why we like it. Don't forget, Nokia is a river in Finland. Let's go to Dave in California. Dave. Mr. Kramer, thank yeah. you for taking my call. My pleasure.
1: God forbid anything happens to you because of that debt, man, I will be completely lost here. Oh man, you're very
3: with- kind. Tell my wife. She's staling me right now.
1: You better have you better have somebody to step into your super huge shoes here just in case you stub your toe oh, at home. They two them. are what? not gonna
3: go. My two daughters. There. They do not know <laughs> I have a show and they like Roku.
2: Oh. Well, I'm calling about on semiconductor.
3: Oh man, I like on semi. This is the kind of classic, just kind of plain vanilla. It's like a little Texas instruments. I say keep buying it. Thank you for the kind words. I'm gonna pass it on my wife and maybe I can get out of the doghouse. Let's go to Richard in California. Um Colorado, I'm sorry. Richard!
1: hey jim i'm interested in salesforce what you're thinking i right don't now? think
3: you should be interested i think you should be fine. more than anyone's doing a great job i think things are good let's not forget keith block he's also doing a good job and i think salesforce is coming together to have another big quarter and it'll be fine and i'm not done i'd like to speak to john in rhode island john hey jim i want to know your opinion on brookdale senior living no, Ventas is the only one I'm recommending. That group is very challenged right now. I'm not going to go down the food chain. How about Peter in Connecticut? Peter!
1: Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. My stock is Cree, and I think they've got a couple of good catalysts going forward.
3: Yeah, they do. I mean, my only issue is we're not early on Cree. It's up 42% for the year, and I'm afraid we're going to get hurt if we get in there right now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the... Lightning Round!
4: The Lightning
2: Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
3: Who doesn't get enough credit? Dave & Buster's, the restaurant chain that's also part sports bar and part mini amusement park. Here's a company that managed to engineer an upside surprise in a world where more and more people prefer to stay home, play video games, and order their food via the web. They beat the numbers even after paying for the technology, the advertising, the rent, and so many other variables that have hobbled mall-based brick-and-mortar stores. It's not easy. But David Buster Buster did it. Company earned 75 cents a share. Analysts were looking for 63. Same store sales grew by 2.9. Analysts thought 2.1. So how do they pull it off? Dave & Buster's used everything at their disposal to generate excitement, to create an experience where people will throw money away playing games for near-worthless prizes that have only small value to children. Let me break it down for you. First, the company demonstrated an incredible mastery of technology. Fully 55% of their sales come from amusements, and the old Dave & Buster's never really varied from the same old, same old. Now, though, they have virtual reality-based attractions that change regularly, so you have something new to experience each time you go. I used to dread going there because my kids would eventually get bored seeing as they'd already played. To everything, we'd end up throwing money away at the claw where we would watch the darn thing, smash our hopes over and over again until we find it up hooking, well, you know, a five-cent doll made in China uh, for about $32 and change when we were finished. That's not a problem anymore. Second, because of the tight labor market, the company did not have to give people raises. But they're using technology to better organize shifts, meaning those workers are more efficient. That's why 5% wage inflation and higher medical insurance costs weren't even enough to wreck the quarter. In fact, they only ended up costing Dave & Buster's 110 basis points year-over-year, which is remarkable. It didn't hurt that they streamlined the menu. I can tell you from personal experience owning restaurants that this really cuts back on the amount of kitchen labor you need. Third, the company keeps putting up terrific unit growth. The best part of the conference call I thought was Dave & Buster's has 125 stores now, and they think they can double that number in a few years. How can they do that? Simple. The malls need Dave & Buster's because they're known as what's known as a traffic donor. That's the term mall managers use for businesses that can actually bring in more customers rather than repel them. Fourth, how do they bring in the all-important millennial demographic? It's easy. You need to change your mindset and the way you spend your advertising dollars. While Dave & Buster's still devotes lots of money to TV, they're leaning heavily to digital, now using programmatic ad buying. And once millennials get there, it's not the same old fare. company just added fresh juices and purees, as well as zoodles, which is actually zucchini based pasta. Don't laugh. This is exactly how Dave & Buster's can show millennials that they're fresh, they're natural, they're organic, and they're picky. Of course, they're now rolling out a mobile app, although I can't figure out exactly how to work, and they have a rewards program, another must that gives customers just enough discounts to make them want to come back. Finally, Dave & Buster's just hired a chief information officer from none other than Royal Caribbean, a brilliant move because the cruise lines are more adept at squeezing money out of their patrons than anyone else on earth. I know each of these points seems pedestrian, Virtual reality, labor-saving technology, better gaming investment, digital advertising, less processed food, shrewd use of retail vacancies. But in the end, the combination is exactly, exactly what makes Dave & Buster's the stock to own in the retail group in a successful 2019. Stick with Family. Get a lot of chatter about how we're going to get a trade deal, maybe as soon as this week or over the weekend. And let me tell you something. Here's what you're going to hear because people are so negative. Sell the news on the trade deal. So you might expect things will go down. That'll be counterintuitive. Here's why. Because a lot of companies that are about to report have been hurt by China. Let's take FedEx that just reported China was bad. If China swings for them in good, well, that's going to really move their earnings for 2019. Many of the companies I follow will have a strong second half of 2019 if we have normalized relations and there's no more trade war. So don't think about selling the news. Think about buying the stocks of people who are selling them. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on money. I'm Jim Kramer, and
2: I will see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you.